I'd like to invite you to turn with me in God's Word this morning to uh, Psalm 61. We'll turn to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. We're going to read God's Word under the heading, When My Heart is Overwhelmed. When My Heart is Overwhelmed from Psalm 61. Beginning with the title in our ESV Bibles, To the Choir Master with Stringed Instruments. Psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And let me dwell in your tent forever, and let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows, and you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king, and may his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God, and appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Here ends the reading of God's word this morning. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, when David says in verse 2, my heart is faint, it historically has been translated as when my heart is overwhelmed. Psalm 61 is what we call a psalm of lament. David is crying. He is weeping. He is overwhelmed about his situation in life. And we read his situation in verse 2, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. Scholars think that Psalm 61, 62, and 63 form a sort of unit, that they go together, that they're probably written during the same time period of David's life. And if you look at Psalm 63, it gives us a little bit of a clue as to where David may have been. As he wrote Psalm 61, he says, it says in the title, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He is overwhelmed because he is far from the throne, far from his family, far from God's presence in Jerusalem. And it's not explicitly mentioned in this psalm, but we can speculate this morning as David was writing this psalm while he was fleeing from his father-in-law, Saul. Maybe in 1 Samuel 21. Or possibly when he's fleeing from the uprising, the rebellion of his son Absalom in 2 Samuel 15 when his own very son tried to take his throne in his kingdom. And so as David is looking at the barren wilderness of Judea, he's looking at his situation in the life around him, he laments. He cries out to God, My heart is faint. I am overwhelmed. And people who have lived with the Lord for any length of time know what David is talking about, don't we? 
we know that life is full of sorrows. There are times when we feel with David, we have no one to turn to, no one who understands us, no one who can help us in our situation. Just think about it. There's tons of scenarios going through my mind. There are some people who spend their lives alone who feel this way. Others who have family, but they're unsympathizing family. Or who reject Christian belief. An unbelieving spouse. Family who are growing old and passing on. Whatever it may be, we know what it's like when in our time of need, who do we turn to? Who will listen to us? Who will help us? through our trials? That's the question of Psalm 61. And here at Trinity URC, we've been going through the book of Romans. But for some reason, the Lord brought this psalm to my attention this week. I'm also going on vacation next week, so I didn't want to start Romans 7. But when... I asked the Lord, what would you have me preach on this week? This was what the Lord brought to my mind. Somebody quoted it to me. And this psalm is raw. This psalm is real. David looks at his life's challenges. He sees how big they are. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. And he has hope. Like many of the Psalms of David, he begins with weeping and tears. He begins with a lamenting hopelessness, but it does not end with lamenting hopelessness. Psalm 61 ends with songs of praise. David says, in the hopelessness of this world, there is something stronger than me. In the hopeless lamenting of his situation, he says there is something secure that I can anchor myself to. Something that can help me through life's storms. And he says it is the rock of ages. He looks to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone of all of the church from the beginning to the end. The rock of salvation. The rock of offense. David says when he is overwhelmed, he looks to Him and finds hope. Our theme for our our time together this morning, not in your bulletin, for you note takers, when overwhelmed and alienated, believers find strength in Yahweh, our rock. When overwhelmed and alienated, the believer finds strength in Yahweh, our rock. And I want to show you this in three points this morning. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we need to look to the Lord for strength and security. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we need to remember God's deeds of old. And when our hearts are overwhelmed, we need to praise and pray to the Lord daily. We need to look to the Lord for strength and security. We need to remember God's deeds of old. And we need to praise and pray to the Lord daily. First, I want you to see, when our hearts are overwhelmed, David teaches us to look to the Lord for strength and security. I mentioned just a moment ago, the setting of this psalm helps us understand it. And we look at verse 2. Psalm 61 tells us that David is far from home. Verse 2, he says, From the ends of the earth, I call to you. Of course, we remember that this is a figure of speech. 
When David was fleeing from his father-in-law Saul, he only got as far as the caves of Adullam, which is just outside of Israel in the Canaanite city. Psalm 1, or 1 Samuel 22 tells us that. And then when he's fleeing Absalom, he only goes as far as Judah. We see that in 2 Samuel 15. Verse 2, when he says, from the ends of the earth I call to you, it's not talking about his geographic location so much as it's talking about his emotional location. That he feels like he's at the ends of the earth. He feels far from God. He feels far away. And we should remember that for the Jews then, and even the Jews now, the center of the world was Jerusalem. Remember that it was in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was located. It was in Jerusalem where sacrifices were made. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to have communion with God or fellowship with God, you had to go to Jerusalem. What that means is that David is not just lamenting that he doesn't have another person he can turn to, but he feels like he can't even turn to God in Psalm 61. I turn to men and I get no sympathy, but I also feel far from my Lord. So much so that one Old Testament scholar, Marvin Tate, says he thinks the dominant metaphor of this psalm is actually distance from God. That David is feeling a sense of far awayness from the Almighty. He has an end of the earth experience from Jehovah. And I don't know about you, but I find this is often how my trials come to me. Maybe we haven't been driven out of our homes, driven out of our positions in life, but time to time, maybe even often, we feel far from God. Have you ever said with David, my heart is faint? Faint actually means feeble. Faint means to be overwhelmed in spirit because of a distressing situation. Have you ever said in an exhausting season with your children, you pick up your Bible and all you can say to the Lord is, my heart is faint. I'm overwhelmed. Or when you're struggling in your workplace and you come to church and it's all that consumes you and you say, my heart is overwhelmed. Or our families, or our health. We come to church and we can feel so far from Him. We go to the Lord in prayer. Our hearts are hard, not softened. My heart is faint. I'm overwhelmed. David is saying, I feel spiritually far from God, and this was enough to bring him to despair. But do you know why David was called a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he was perfect. In fact, David is far from perfect. The author of Psalm 61 is the murderous, adulterous king of Israel. He isn't called a man after God's own heart because he is more sanctified. He isn't called a man after God's own heart because he always felt close to God. 
He was called a man after God's own heart because even in his trials, his sins, and his failures, he looked to the Lord. He looked to the rock that was higher than him. In fact, this idea of God being a rock is all throughout David's Psalms. Uh, David wrote many psalms of our Old Testament, and at least 20 of his psalms refer to God as a rock. If you go to 1 Samuel, where it speaks of uh, David's psalm before the end of his life, he calls the Lord, my rock, my refuge, my shield, my strong force, my deliverer. He often thought of God as the rock. Because I think David was often hiding in the rocks. Twice in his life he had to flee to the caves for safety. When David fled from Saul, he hid himself and his armies in the nooks and the crannies of the rocks. He knew that that was a place of protection, a place of safety, a safe haven. David says, so it is with Yahweh. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now there's two things that David mentions about the rock that I want us to consider this morning. Notice here, the rock is higher than David. Now in the ancient world, there was no such thing as a drill or dynamite. And so the rock, a rock, was seen as the most impenetrable thing. It was the example of impervious solidarity. Rocks in the ancient world were the solid foundation. You remember the story. If the house is built on the rock, the winds, the waves come, and it doesn't fall down. If a city was built in the outcropping of rocks, it was safe. A rock represents a solid foundation, protection, and security. But isn't David making a startling confession here? He is saying, even though I am the king of Israel, even though I am the top of the social ladder, there is something higher than me. There is something more solid, something more impressive for protection and their security than the king of Israel. He is looking to something that is greater than himself. Teaching his people not to put their trust, listen to this, in the government. To not put their trust in the king. To not put their trust in earthly institutions because there is something more solid, something even greater than David himself. He teaches us, congregation, don't put your hope in your president or prime minister. Don't put your hope in an earthly king. Don't put your hope in earthly institutions. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And notice that David says, I need to be led to this rock. That's the second consideration about the rock. He says, lead me 
to the rock. See, it's one thing to know that there's protection and security. It's another thing to actually experience it. Charles Spurgeon tells a story that in the 18th century England, they had these high bluffs of rocky terrain um, on the coast of England. I've never seen it, but I've seen pictures of it. And they can shoot up out of the ocean uh, 10, 20, maybe even higher. uh, 10, 20 feet. And these mariners in the 18th century would be sailing along and they would hit a rock and they would have to throw themselves out of the boat. And they would get to the shores of England, but these huge bluffs, they'd have to climb up them. They could see the rock of safety, so to speak. They could see salvation at the top of this bluff, but they had no way to get to it. So they tried to climb up these rocky outcroppings, the face of these mountains, wet and slippery. And so many of them would fail to get up, of course. And they would drown on the shores of Britain. But Spurgeon tells a story where a man who lived at the top of this bluff noticed how many mariners were dying in the ocean, and so he went down and began to carve out steps in the face of the bluff. And then other people came along and they put a chain fence and they started to sharpen the uh, steps to make sure that they didn't get worn down by the sea and make sure it was visible for when the sailors fell out of their boats. And then they had salvation when they were led to the rock. Guided to the top of the bluff. See, it's hard to know what David was thinking about when he wrote this. But for our part, we need to know that we need protection. We need salvation. We need the rock, which Paul says in Romans 9, verse 33 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul quotes Psalm 20, Isaiah 28, excuse me, where God says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Our Lord Jesus is the rock of salvation. He is the one who is held forth to us in the preaching of the Word. In the Word of God. Who is held forth to us by our parents, by our families, by the preacher. But only the Holy Spirit can lead us to Him. The rock is Christ. But no one can get there on their own. We need the Holy Spirit to quicken our dead souls, to awaken our spiritual need, to renew our wills, to bring us to Him. We are the wave-beaten, exhausted mariners who need to throw ourselves on Jesus Christ for there is impervious safety in Him. That's the turning moment of Psalm 61. When David realizes he cannot save himself but he can only turn to the Lord Jesus in trust. Congregation, how important is this to consider on the day when we baptize little Elijah? That the salvation of Elijah, that the salvation of any of our children is a work of grace. It is a work of God's sovereign salvation. 
and that our children in baptism are guided not only that they have a need of a Savior, but they also have the need of the power to believe upon the Savior. We need the Holy Spirit to carve out in the rock steps so that we can lead our kids to Christ. And that parents, this ought to be a comfort for you. That the salvation of your children is not dependent upon you being perfect. It is not dependent upon saying the right things and doing the right things and being the right person, though I'm not saying we should endorse bad parenting. But that the salvation of our children is entirely dependent upon God Himself leading them to the rock that is higher. The prayer I pray often is the prayer of the man who came to Jesus asking him to heal his son, to which Jesus responded, this man needs more faith. And the man says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Parents, there is nothing wrong with asking God to lead your children to Him. God loves to hear that prayer and to answer that prayer. We need to look to the rock for strength and security. Not only this, does David show us that he looks to the rock, but then he moves from pleading with the Lord in our first point to our second point. He remembers God's deeds of old. That's our second point. When my heart is overwhelmed, we need to remember God's deeds of old. He says, verse 3, you have been past tense. David is looking back on past deliverance and he says, since God has delivered me in the past, I should have confidence for the future. In the past, he has had a shelter. He has had a rock. He has had all that he has needed. Will God abandon him now? And he uses four metaphors here. God is a refuge. He's a tower, he's a tent, and he's sheltering wings. Look at that first metaphor. You have been my refuge. Fifty times in the Psalms, God is called a refuge. A safe place. A place where someone can go to be free from danger, relief, stress. It's a place of safety. And a refuge is a universal need for all of God's creatures. And if David was in fact writing Psalm 61 when he was the king of Israel, isn't this a huge statement? His refuge in the past has not been his throne. His refuge is not that he is loved and respected by the nation. Or that he was a fierce and successful warrior. Or that he has a beautiful palace. Lots of wives. Lots of children. None of that is his safe place. God is the ultimate refuge, says David. If you look at David's life through 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, don't we know that this is so true? That every time David looked to his riches to bring him peace, they only brought him misery. We know that his wives brought him no peace. Think about Bathsheba. Did his throne bring him peace? Think about Absalom's rebellion. 
Did his children bring him peace? Think about Absalom's rebellion. Not even the palace brought him peace. He was forbidden to build the temple because of the blood on on his hands. David says, even though I have all of the world, none of it is a safe refuge. The only thing that truly brought David peace, he says, is Yahweh. This lesson is taught to the church over and over again. That we think we will be happy when we have the world. That finances will be our refuge. Happiness will be our refuge. Spouses, children, whatever it is. And do we not continue to hear reports upon reports of celebrities, millionaires, who are depressed, who are unhappy, who commit suicide even. Because their refuge is in a place that brings them no peace. Their refuge is in a place that is not safe. David says, my refuge has been the Lord. And so the Lord will be my refuge again. Notice the second metaphor, a strong tower. This would have been something that wasn't in the wilderness, but in the cities of the Old Testament. The people would gather in a tower and they would fend off uh, attacking those who are attacking their citizens. The Hebrew here is actually an impenetrable, impregnable tower. And the picture is of someone successfully defending their city. I think David here is thinking of Goliath. How he stood before him just with a rock and God was his strong tower. Or how he went into the Canaanite cities and to the the pagans and conquered nations. God was always the strong tower for David then. If he had delivered David in the past, will he forsake him now? Then he says, God is a tent. And I think what he's talking about here is the tabernacle. David says, let me dwell in your tent forever. The temple was erected, remember, that the presence of God would dwell amongst God's people. And that those who dwelt in Jerusalem had the privilege of going to the tabernacle and having a close and intimate communion with God. David says, you are my refuge. You are my tower. You are my tent. But the fourth, I think, is the most important you are the sheltering wings. Notice here that they get more and more intimate. And I think what's being referred to in the, this last passage about the wings is that David is referring to the tabernacle of God. That in the tent, in the tabernacle, was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was said that in the Ark of the Covenant there were cherubims, little angels made out of gold, whose wings covered the whole ark, the lid of the ark. This was called the mercy seat, the propitiation seat, seat of atonement, where once a year the priest would come into that place and see the Ark of the Covenant there, and he would pour out the blood of a sacrifice on the wings of the cherubim to cover them and to shelter them 
from the wrath of God. I think what David is remembering here is that God is a God of mercy. And that He has always been a God of grace. It is as if as David is looking at the overwhelming circumstances of his life and has said to God, I have, you have never given me what I deserve. Instead, you gave me your unmerited favor and if you would do all of this for me, you will not cast me away now. Christian, this needs to be true for us as well. That when we feel down and we feel that God has forgotten us and far from Him, we need to remember the place of atonement. The place where Christ's blood was shed. And how we were sheltered, not under the wings of God, but under the outstretched arms of Jesus nailed to the cross for us. That we can say with David, does He not love me? He never forgot me. I am the apple of His eye, the delight of His heart. Therefore, I will put my trust in Him again. When we remember God's deeds of old, we feel God drawing closer. We're reminded of His love. And we can trust Him again. Here's a word of application. Why should we read the Bible every day? Why should we go to church every Sunday? Because as humans, we are forgetful creatures. We need to be daily, weekly reminded of the Gospel. That when we are sorrowful and we are overwhelmed, we need to remind ourselves of what is true. And let that be our source of encouragement. Let that be what grounds us. That God has given you and me true peace, He has preserved us, and that we have communion with Him through the blood of His Son. We need to remember that. When your children are discouraged, your wives, your husbands, remind them of the true things of God's Word. God loves you in the cross. He will never abandon or forsake you. And so we should praise Him and pray to Him even when our hearts are overwhelmed. Sometimes people come to me and they say, Pastor, I'm struggling with my devotions. I feel so overwhelmed. Or I feel so discouraged. And so I can scarcely pick up a Bible. But that's exactly when you need to pick up the Bible. That's exactly when you need it the most when we're feeling overwhelmed. That's when we need to praise Him. That's when we need to pray to Him. That's the most important time to participate in these spiritual practices. We need to praise and pray to the Lord daily. Now, I will admit, Psalm 61, verses 6-8, through have historically tripped up Bible students. The psalmist seems to cease to pray for himself and instead prays that God would increase the king. He stops speaking personally and he seems to be speaking about someone else. 
And so people have suggested in the past, well, maybe somebody else came along and wrote these last three verses under David's name. Or some others have suggested, well, maybe David was actually writing a prayer for himself as the king. But I want to suggest another thought this morning. I think it's possible that David isn't praying for an earthly king at all. Look at verse 6. Prolong the life of the king. Okay, that could be about an earthly king, but listen to this. May his years endure to all generations. What is he saying? Forever. Look at verse 7. May he be enthroned forever before God and appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. If this is to be understood as a literal prayer, it cannot be about an earthly king, can it? But David knew better than anyone that the earthly king was the symbol of the divine king. Remember that God sent to David the prophet Nathan to promise him that the Messiah was coming. That there would be one who would sit on his throne forever. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, Nathan said, or God said through Nathan, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever. That was God's promise to David. Did God promise David long life? No. Did God promise David that he wouldn't have troubles? No. God promised David a forever kingdom maintained by a divine Messiah who is God and man and who would reign forever and ever. David is thinking here of that eternal King to come in Jesus. He looks to Christ and he is praying for that eternal king. He's looking to the gospel. Give me Christ. Give me the Lord who is the rock that is higher than I. And as he looks to Jesus and he prays, the Lord draws near to him. He who was once far is now close. And David is now strengthened and helped as he ponders and thinks of God's promises of the Gospel. And the psalm goes from weeping to praising. So I will ever sing praise to Your name as I perform my vows day after day. That in looking to Christ, he was filled with God's Holy Spirit to the point of doxology. Praising God. And shouldn't looking to Christ always lead us to praise? Especially for us New Testament Christians. We know the name of this King. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock that is higher than any enemy. He is our strong tower. He is our meeting place with God. He poured out His blood for us on the wings of the mercy seat for our sins. 
He is the rock of ages. Cleft for me. Crucified for me. That he might lead us to himself. The rock that is higher than us. Are you overwhelmed this morning? Look to Jesus, the rock of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we thank you that you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our rock, who has even been crucified for us, that we might have an impenetrable fortress, communion with God. We pray, Lord, that you would stir us up by the power of your Spirit to look to him, and that we too, as we celebrated this morning in the baptism of Elijah, might seek to lead our children to that rock by the power of the Spirit. We pray that you would do all this for the namesake of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.